Um, one of my friends from undergrad, um, I ran into randomly on the street, one of those magical New York City experiences where you're walking down the street and you run into somebody that you haven't seen in forever. And she's like, hey, I got this email about this program called the um, Consortium. Have you thought about getting your MBA? And I'm like, What's an MBA? Failing. <laughs> Failing. Failing. I know. We talk about failure. Some battles you feel like you lost. And survival. Some battles you feel like you win. It's tough. I had to make some tough decisions. We've all faced failure, but what steps do we take to launch ourselves into success? I'm Sarah Brown. There is life. A blessing. Your dream. And then what we do with it. And this is Failing Forward. All right, I want to welcome Nidira Mutala. I'm so excited that you're here. Yay! Thanks, Sarah, for having me. You are a blessing to be here with me today. I appreciate it because I know you're really busy at work. So thanks for taking the time out. No problem. All right, so why don't you tell us a little bit of background? Tell us where you grew up, your story. Okay. I am a native of Houston, Texas. Um, overall, I'm a big city girl. I grew up there, but I moved to Los Angeles right after undergrad. And then after about six years there, I moved out to New York City for two and a half years. And all very big cities. All big cities. Really love the diversity, the energy, the ability to get on an international flight direct <laughs> um, <laughs> to leave the country. Um, I love big cities. So um, I tell me about your family, too. Yeah. I want to know, like, what was your nuclear family? I'm one of six kids. I'm number five. Um, I have three older sisters and I'm between the two boys. Um, And my parents um, and their families are very big. So my mom's one of eight. My dad's one of nine. So I have hundreds of cousins in Houston. Oh my gosh. And I grew up around a lot of people all the time. A lot of people in my house, a lot of people on the weekends. Um, the family's very close. They hang out together a lot. Um, I'm one of the youngest in my generation. Um, most of my first cousins are 40 plus. Okay. And so um, it really uh, was, you know, like nice to have all these people around me that were older growing up and I got to be in touch with all the cool stuff even though I was a little kid so I feel like it it helped me a lot um, understand a lot of different things what brought your parent or what brought your family to Houston my family has been in Texas since slavery so really that is where my is that where it started roots are from have you been able to figure out not at all um, we, my family has been in Texas for generations, and um, that's as much as I know. Um, we don't know much about. Um, Can you do like an ancestry.com or anything both like that? Both of my parents have been heavily focused on trying their best to trace that. I had a lot of interest in doing that as a kid. It just didn't yield a lot of real information. Details. Yeah. Um, do you know how far it goes back? In Houston? My, um, so Houston proper, my parents moved, neither of them were born in Houston. Okay. They were born in smaller towns about an hour, hour and a half outside of Houston. Um, so the, the, the generations go back to my great, great grandmother was able to find some records from small towns. Um, outside of Houston, but my parents moved to Houston for college, and they settled there um, as adults. But they, and were they first generation college, or was it before them? First generation. Okay. All right. Cool. 
and they didn't graduate. They didn't graduate. So what um, happened? So my, I'm a first generation college graduate in my family. Okay. Well, what happened to them? They get married, have kids. And- yep. Life happened. Yep. Started having those six kids. <laughs> Needed, you know, jobs to focus on. Um, yeah, life life happened. Okay, so grew up in big cities, mm-hmm. moved around, or you grew up in Houston, but then you've moved around a lot. Yeah. Okay, tell me about undergrad. Where'd you go to undergrad? Where'd you go to University college? University of Texas or at Austin. Graduate school. I went to University of Texas at Austin for undergrad. Um, Austin's a great city, but I felt lost there in the sense that it didn't fit. It was like this small little, um, it just felt very different from Houston. So I didn't appreciate it while I was there. So I wanted to leave right away um, after I graduated. And what'd you study? I studied child development. Okay. So then? So then um, I moved out to Los Angeles. Um, I went out there on a visit that was supposed to last six weeks, and um, I didn't want to leave after the six weeks were up, so I stayed. And did you, what did what what was your my, career? My career initially was um, event management. I wanted to do um, celebrity weddings. I wanted to do um, all kinds of celebrity fundraisers and events, and I got to do that. That was my. Um, evening, weekend job. And then my day job, I worked at an after-school program for the YMCA and um, worked with kids and parents. And after about two to three years of doing that on a parallel path, they kind of merged together. And I worked on a um, preschool for all initiative in Los Angeles County called Los Angeles Universal Preschool. And they were looking at making um, preschool available um, for free for all four-year-olds. And my event planning work led to that organization. And um, I ultimately switched and worked for that organization and left behind the event planning um, career celebrity activity. So... Your career shifts. Yes. Where, why, and when does it shift? It tends to shift when I feel like I've reached the end of um, what I thought I was going to get. So with event planning, I loved it, and I was excited by it, and I did exactly what I wanted to do. But then I realized that I wasn't happy being at these great celebratory events and only working them. Yeah. I wanted to be there, but as a guest, yeah. not 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 working behind the scenes and, you know, standing up on the sideline. I wanted to talk to the people that were there. I wanted to be a part of the mix. And once I realized that I wasn't, I, it, I didn't want to do that anymore, then I started thinking about, okay, well, what's next? Okay, so what happens? So after working at the Los Angeles Universal Preschool organization, um, I knew that wasn't <laughs> that wasn't it for me. Um, I had a great experience. I had a very well-paying job. I had a good lifestyle that I enjoyed. And with that good-paying job, it allowed me to travel for the first time. So I started going to visit friends of mine in New York City and um, would go three, four times a year and realize that 
that is really the lifestyle that I wanted to have, better connected to friends, um, doing more things that um, people in their 20s should be doing. My lifestyle in L.A. was very um, not. Um, it, most of my friends were working professionals with families yes. and they were not in the same life stage that I was in. So we were not doing the kinds of things that most single 20 year olds um, were doing. And I wanted to do more of that kind of stuff. So I decided that, um, you know, I was going to prioritize living over kind of professional um, success. And I relocated to New York City and um, decided to live there and was fortunate enough to leverage some contacts at my job um, for the work that I had done at the preschool program for a job in New York. Okay, so you moved there. I moved to New York City December 2006 and um, lived in Brooklyn. Um, fell immediately into a very strong community there because I'd been had friends there. Right. I'd been going back and forth. Um, I started working, um, had a good job, um, and life was good. And I, um, one of my friends from undergrad, um, I ran into randomly on the street, one of those magical New York City experiences where you're walking down the street and you run into somebody that you haven't seen in forever. Amazing. It happens all the time. Um, and uh, she, she and I got together one day, and she's like, hey, I got this email about this program called the um, Consortium. Have you thought about getting your MBA? And I'm like, what's an MBA? <laughs> and she tells me about the opportunity to go back to school, um, f- get this uh, master's degree, and that the Consortium of Graduate Study and Management paid for it. They offered full tuition fellowship to underrepresented um, minorities that their objective is giving top talent the opportunity to um, experience a different career path. And it was just it was something I'd never heard of before. So I started looking into it and understanding what an MBA was and what kind of career opportunities it would open up for me. And um, I decided to go back to school. So what I think is cool about your story is that it was through community, uh, friendships, etc. It was through them that they helped you. They created a new lens for you that maybe you didn't have before. Mm-hmm. And I think that that hap- if you're open to it, I think that can happen for so many of us. But it to me, it's around putting people around you that can help you either be your best self or create a new lens, help you see things that you're like, well, I never thought I could do that before. Yeah. And be open. I think being too fixated on a particular outcome, you limit yourself to the opportunities that present themselves. Okay. Say more about that. I agree with you on that, but say more. So if I had been focused on, okay, I want to um, be an event planner, for example, and Mm -hmm. say that I was like, just uh, there was a point in my life where I was hyper fixated on that. And um, that shut out other opportunities that were presented to me by people in my network that I didn't pursue because I'm like, oh, well, that doesn't look like what I want, which is event planning. I was getting opportunities to work in television. I was getting opportunities to work um, in the entertainment industry. That would have been amazing. Yeah. But I was so fixated on a particular 
type of outcome that I wasn't open to it. As I grew up and matured and and realized that, you know, people bring in things in your life and you need to be open to the opportunities they present that um, I don't think it happens accidentally. I don't think it happens accidentally ever. Yeah. So how do you balance because you are a goal-oriented person, you're a high achiever. So how do you balance setting a goal, sticking to your goal, but also being open to other possibilities? Like what do you know now that you maybe didn't know 10 years ago? I had this false belief that I needed to do it myself Mm -hmm. and that there was somehow a path that I needed to figure out and lay out and have all the steps um, clearly understood. What I know now is that I don't have to have it. If I get a a thought, if, if God puts something in my mind that says, like, do this, and it's crazy, it makes no sense to me, and (laughs) I don't see a way there. Yeah. I have to be okay just taking that first step towards it, even if I don't know what step two and three look like. And so now I'm much more willing to follow through on these small little nudges that I get towards new things. And that now is my career plan and path. It's really like continue to follow the little breadcrumbs, um, even if I don't know where it's taking me, um, and just build on that. All right, Nadira, give me another example of a small nudge that you think would be a cool story to share? So um, when I was in business school, I I thought I knew exactly this is where I was fixated. I had I didn't learn the lesson <laughs> the, first, the time. first time. I was fixated on, um, I wanted to work in marketing. I didn't fully understand what that was, but most of the um, career opportunities coming out of business school and marketing are brand management. So I was fixated on, okay, I want to work in marketing. I want to work for these particular types of companies. I had a very narrow set of companies that that fit my values that I felt like had products that were not harming people. And so it was less than 10 companies in the whole Because you can can get very clear pretty easily on what you think you want, right? I mean, that's a strength for sure of yours. Okay. Keep going. It's 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 a willingness to listen to God and the messages that he's putting in my head. I've learned to trust that the the thoughts that I have around things that feel right to me are are typically guiding me towards something that will end really well. So I, it's I've had to trust myself. Okay, so I was listening to another podcast about this, the inner voice. Mm-hmm. It's kind of what you're talking about here. And um, I always struggle with, how do I know something that's uh, spiritually or universally or God driving me versus my ego mm-hmm. or my, or do you know what I mean by the difference there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you figure that out? Because I think a lot of people think they hear things and they're like, oh, I, I got the small nudge to do. But how do you discern? For me, the way that I it, it shows up as confirmation in the external. So someone else will say something to me that affirms some a thought that I had. And it's so random. And there's no way that they could have known that that's what I was thinking. There's no way that um, 
like running into my friend Marcy on the street in New York City. In New York City, I hadn't seen Millions her in of people. forever, and that I had been trying to figure out, you know, what do I want to do? Like I said, I was working, but I was I, I wasn't on a career path. I was just working. Yeah, and I knew that wasn't my career path, and I needed to figure out what was next. And I'd been asking myself that question, and so her. Mentioning that opportunity really just confirmed to me, like, yeah, I do need to explore some new things. Or it happens um, where I've thought about something. Um, this will happen sometimes where I want to reach out to somebody and I'm nervous about contacting them or I'm not sure if I if I should. And then I see them on the elevator and I'm like, oh, that's the confirmation that that I I was supposed to reach out to them and I I didn't follow through on that thought because I was second guessing myself. I think I have much more trouble with self-doubt and negative self-talk than I have with ego. Oh, I talk okay. myself out of a lot of things versus being kind of ego led. Yeah, so I would say I I am in agreement with you around the negative self-talk. Um I'm right there with you on that one. Yeah, and the doubt, mm -hmm. the doubt. So you use those external that comp that external confirmation as a way to get to nudge you. Mm -hmm. Yes, I love that. Okay, so can you share some other cool nudging stories? Because I think the stories are what are inspiring. Yeah. So I um, talking about the business school situation. I was um, in school. And I, well, let me back up. When I was applying to school, okay. and so Marcy laid out this suggestion, I researched it, understood I needed to take the GMAT, and was like, okay, I think I can do that. Um, I took it. I got a decent score, but it wasn't a solid score to guarantee um, that I, I would be very competitive in a highly competitive admissions process. Yeah. So I took a prep class spent a boatload of money and time focused on learning the skills to take this test. And I took it and got the exact same score that I had gotten eight months prior when I took it without any preparation. Bummer. And I felt so... Depleted. De deflated. Just, I felt horrible about myself. Like, what's wrong with me? I had sacrificed all this and I didn't improve my score. And I thought I was following God's plan. Like, this was so miraculous that I found out about this program and now I wanted it. And boom, the door was like shut in my face. I applied to the schools with my mediocre score and didn't get in. No surprise. Yeah. And um, I, I just, I felt, I felt like okay, I must have been wrong. I must have... You felt like a failure. Yeah, I felt like a failure, and I felt like I must have made a mistake. I must not have heard correctly. I must have been um, going after something that really wasn't for me, because if if it's for me, then it, it will work out. So I, I let myself... Um, I convinced myself that, okay, that wasn't for me. And I said, well, I'm not going to go to business school. I give up. After I didn't get accepted, I'm not going to go. And um, through um, a few months of spending time with friends and talking to people and going out and having experiences and kind of just living life, 
people started pouring back into me that like, no, you should try again. And I'm like, I don't want to try again because it was so hard. It was it, it hurt so badly yeah. to be rejected the first time. I didn't want to try again. And Marcy, who I can't thank enough for her role in helping me, um, she's a great friend. Um, she was like, well, why did you? She's like, you took a class, you paid for it. Like, if you didn't do well, they should help you figure out why. It's their what? job to help you understand it and to, to, to diagnose it. Like, that's what you paid them for. So she encouraged me to go back to them and say, hey, help me figure out why I didn't do well. Help me understand what I can do to improve and what I need to do to get my score up. And through that, I realized that the mistakes that I was making um, on the test were not because I wasn't... Um, it, it wasn't like the complex concepts. It was rudimentary, like fourth grade um, division <laughs> or okay. or ratios or fractions. Okay. Things that you learn in elementary school that but for whatever you never reason. Use them again. I, well, you didn't use yeah, them again. I, I, I think I never learned them. I think somewhere no. along the line, like I must have either through my transition between schools. I, I just don't think I learned them or I was having a horrible year and just didn't learn anything. But it was all new to me. So I had to go back and learn all these very basic um, arithmetic type of math skills that were causing me errors in my very complex quantitative problems that I was working on. And once we diagnosed that, um, I stopped worrying about the rest of the stuff and only focused on those basic math skills. And so um, I had the program tutoring me and helping me. I had friends that were tutoring me. Marcy tutored me and some other people that I'd met um, in New York. And on Sundays, they'd come and help me do, you know, like these these uh, fraction worksheets and things like that and um, taught me how to do those skills. And as a result of that, I um, my score changed. But the best part about that was is that the school that I went to changed because the people that I met in New York that were helping tutor me had gone to Indiana University and they helped me understand the culture of the school and that you don't just choose a school because of the reputation and, you know, what kind of jobs you get out of it. But you have to think about the experience that you're going to have there. Yeah. How much are you going to like the people that you're with? Because you're going to spend you a lot of time with them. Will you have that community? Absolutely. Will you feel like these people support you and that they have your back and that they're going to help you and that they're not going to make you feel badly about yourself because you don't yeah. know fractions? So so you, your GMAT score goes up. You get accepted to IU. I want you to share the other nudge that occurred because when you graduated from IU, you thought you wanted to go into brand management. Yeah. So that it happened. The, the process for applying for jobs is you start even before you get into school, especially as a part of this consortium program. They this is highly sought after talent that employers are looking for. So when they invest in this consortium program financially, um, they are also getting first dibs on the talent. talent. Um, so that application process and that job search starts before you even set foot on the campus. Okay. Because the MBA cycle is you do an internship between your first and your second year. And then after, um, likely, you'll get an offer at the end of your summer. Yep. And that'll be where you go to work at the end of your second year. So basically, you're looking for your job two years early. Got it. So I... Um, 
thought I wanted to do brand management because that's all I knew. And I was going through all of these jobs and interviews and doing really well, getting to the second round. I'm the few short list of companies that I wanted to work for. And I wasn't getting an offer. And I'm like, what is wrong? What? Again, I questioned myself. I thought, I'm not capable. There's something wrong with me. I'm, I'm not good enough. I, I just questioned everything that I thought that I knew. Um, and I heard from other people and from the people that I interviewed with that, you know, you don't sound like you're super passionate about brand management. When I hear your passion, you talk about connecting to people, you talk about problem solving, you talk about more about the consumer understanding, the things that light up your eyes are not the things that brand management does. It's related, it's a part of the work, but it's not the bulk of the work. Back to this external confirmation. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so you had to really shift from here's where I thought my plan was going Mm -hmm. to another area. So what was the area that you fell into that you are doing beautifully in now? Consumer insights, market research, consumer insights. And this is, again, it it took more work because uh, unfortunately it's not the... The, the the path most traveled. I mean, 90% of the opportunities lead you towards brand management. And so it took more work to find opportunities in Consumer Insights. And um, there are fewer opportunities, so it feels... Um, it was more competitive. It, it can be more competitive, but it also can limit the... Um, the places where you want to live or the 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 companies you want to work for because there aren't a lot of those opportunities out there okay so you are happy to say where where did you land working procter and gamble one of um the top largest well i mean restate that procter and gamble is the best consumer products company in the world we have products that are superior to other products. We spend more time making sure our products are safe and are the best. And we invest more in consumer understanding and research than any other company in the world. Because we want to make sure that we're delivering products that delight the people that are going to be using them. So I I, I love I love Nidira's story for a couple reasons. Um, one your background and where you grew up and came from. And then two, you made the ordinary extraordinary. You know, so most of the other podcasts that we've done are with CEOs. You know, they're people who are probably a little bit older and further along in their uh, career. And so I think it's really important for our listeners to hear somebody that's just like them and to still learn an important lesson, which I think your teaching lesson, and correct me if I wrong, I'm wrong, but I love this this thing about um, external confirmation. So get rid of the self-doubt, negative thoughts, and start listening to the possibilities that others are shining around you. Absolutely, and be willing to not know all the steps. Be okay moving towards the first one even if you don't know what the next one looks like, because it'll show up. And you don't have to know all the answers. Yeah. It is that first step that's always seems to be the hardest. You know, it's like procrastination. Mm-hmm. They say if you work on something just for five minutes, mm-hmm. then you'll get you know more and more done. But for me, it is always just that first step is key. Absolutely. 
Nadira, tell me one thing that failure taught you, or maybe multiple. Yeah. It taught me that it, it may not be failure. It might be a course correction. There's a lesson in the failure that you need to un, unpack. And that oftentimes is the thing that is going to help you pivot and move towards the right thing. And so if you get stuck and wallowing in the failure, you're going to miss the gift of what the failure is trying to teach you. And so oftentimes, in my experience, I look back and I see this wasn't, uh, um, I didn't fail. I just was being delayed. I was being corrected. I was being um, told to, you're headed in the right direction, but you need to turn 45 degrees to the right and and, and head that way. Yeah. Um, and that is what I was able to do um, through the, the experiences that I've had. Okay, but then my question still is, how do you get unstuck? How do you course correct? How? Why were you able to do that? I... I don't have like a formula, but I can tell you when I look back, I had to be willing to believe what other people were telling me about myself and not believe the the horrible um, feelings and thoughts around being unworthy or not good enough. I had to believe the people that love me, that were affirming me and building me up, I had to believe them. And and by being willing to believe what they said, keep moving forward. And it's not that I didn't believe them or that it's there's not a place of knowing within me, but you tend to rationalize and you have all this evidence to the contrary. Right. It's like, well, if I was so good or if I w- if it was the right thing, then why didn't I get in? Why why did I not improve my score? Why did it not work out the way I thought with that job? If they they said they liked me and they I got to the second round and I got so far, but it didn't work out. So I, it must be that I need to do something different. And if people, if you have a good, um, healthy support network of people around you who believe in you and can see what sometimes you don't want to see for yourself, they can help you um, keep moving forward. Yeah. And I think it's really important, too, that if you are practicing listening to external confirmations that you're listening to those people who are positive forces in your life and not the negative ones right because um whether it's a spouse partner a friend i believe it's extremely important to keep those positive forces around you and if you're getting negative i I don't have time for that i don't i don't want it in my life You know, I've I've been listening to a lot of people recently who are who very strongly say, if I've got one of those people in my life, I I tend to shy away from them and and create a distance because it's not helping me and my purpose. But what about when that person is yourself? I mean, I I am my worst critic. I am the person that is the the hardest on me. I am the person that is most negative in my life. And it's it's like I need two 
positive people for, for, every, for, one every, of us. for every one of me. Yes. Like, I just have to have more people in my life who are pouring into me to counter the the negativeness of my own self-doubt. So I just got from a friend an app. It's an affirmation app. Have you heard about this? I don't know which app, but I well, definitely this, am a believer in affirmation. So this is called Think Up. I haven't set it up yet, um, but a friend of mine goes over these affirmations every morning, and she said it really works. So I'm gonna st- I'm gonna try it. Think up. Think up. Okay. Yeah. You create them. I mean, and then you can record them in your own voice. Too. Nice. Yeah. That's a great tip. But I love your point around. <laughs> I am my worst critic. Absolutely. It's easy to. Um, it's like when your family, um, you hear, you might say something negative about your family, but when um, someone from the outside says something, you defend and you, you'll you fight harder for your family. So very similarly for myself, someone has something negative to say about me. I'm pretty fierce at defending myself and speaking out and shutting down negative people around me yeah except for myself I, I don't I don't do the same thing for myself um um I think I can when it's around like a moral issue you know but if it's around my self-worth or if it's not as clear-cut then no I'm not as good about it absolutely and it it's not I haven't mastered it it's a ongoing struggle I don't want to make it sound like I've overcome (laughs) I I have not and I promise there will be a year from now where I'll have a story where I'll look at something that I'm doing right now and go gosh if I had just been willing to lean into the 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 nudge that I was getting it would have been it would have been better it's not only about someone else from the outside planting a seed. It has to be there already within you. It has to be something that you already know or have already understood. And it's recognizing and having that affirmed and confirmed through somebody else where it really connects and it feels powerful. It, it's it's necessary to um, have people who are willing to see things that are not easily seen as well in your life. And it's not you saying to your partner or best friend, do you think I would be good at this? Exactly. Wanting them to affirm you. It's when they say it out of the blue. Yes. And you, it's, it's almost like a feeling that you have. Like you're, for me, it's almost like a butterfly. I'm like, oh, you know what? I think I am good at that. And they just confirmed it. Yes. Or yes, I do need to move in that direction. Yes. Yes. And and I think that there's so many times where we 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 all have the potential to be so great. And I think that so many times we limit ourselves to one particular type of greatness. I look at um many people in the entertainment industry are talented in multiple ways Mm -hmm. and it looks like they're distracted and schizophrenic trying Mm -hmm. to do all these different um things i can't remember the woman's last name um i know her first name is i think it's Kristen, but she does the voice for anna and frozen yes chen chenoworth she's she's an actress and 
she started acting, but she did this amazing musical. Oh, no, Kristen Bell. Kristen Excuse Bell, me. yeah. Yes. Kristen Bell. She she has this amazing voice. She's so talented as a vocal artist. And um, I think that it's a good example for us to remember that you don't have to just have this, you don't have to have just one note of goodness in your life. You don't have to just have one skill that you hone and focus on, this very narrow, linear path. You have to be willing to branch off and build out those strengths in other places of your life. And that's really, for me, where I have found the most joy and the most um, surprising um, gifts that if I hadn't been willing to just try something else, I wouldn't have known that I was also good at really good at that too. Okay, what are some of those things? I'm amazing with kids. I am. I was an. Um, I was an excellent preschool teacher. I was an amazing as a director of an after school program. I love kids. They're still the most important part of my life, and how I get my biggest joy and satisfaction is engaging with young children. That is still true. But I'm also pretty darn good at business and marketing and communicating ideas and building brand messages and connecting people to products and services. Yeah. I am very good at that, too. I am also good at networking people and connecting someone over here and someone over here, bringing them together because they can make magic together. Yeah. And so I, I think that I falsely believed when I was younger that there was this one path. You had to decide a career and, and go towards I'm it. I'm in total agreement. And I think that's what our parents believed. And so we believe, we're taught to believe that. It's not true. No, it's not true. I, I'm so happy to hear you say that because sometimes I think that I'm schizophrenic because I like I really like doing a lot of different things. And as I've grown in maturity, I wasn't going to say get older, mm-hmm. but as I've grown in maturity, I'm like, you know what? That's what I like about myself. Right. That's why you're so That's awesome. That's what people like about me. That's what makes you exceptional. That that is the gift. That is the that is what puts you in the upper echelon of um, thought leadership and um, community building and um, you know entrepreneurship is because you are willing to try multiple things because likely when you're good at thing A, you're also good at thing B, and that means you're probably pretty darn good at thing C. And so it's just the gift of being exceptional. You, you just tend to be good at multiple things. Well, here's to cheering each other about being exceptional. Thank you for that. That was really you're nice. You're welcome. Uh, I really have struggled with that, I have to tell you. Like, I used to think, it's probably not until the last two years, but I'm like, I like so many different things. People are going to be like, what does she really do? Do you know what I mean? But why do you care what they think? Like what they think about you and how they think is from their point of view. And if they're not blessed with that gift of being talented in multiple ways, they won't understand it. Yeah. Do you think J-Lo cares that someone (laughs) tells her that she's... um, um, someone who's a, a traditional dancer because she started off in dance. Right. That they, they, they. Do you think she cares that they think 
what they think about her now being no. uh, uh, having beauty brands and um, endorsing razors and all these different types of products. Do you think that she's caught up in no. their perceptions no. of her? Because no, if she did, I, I want to stop that thought. Yeah. You have to be willing to. One, it's okay. Like I, I don't think that schizophrenic. Even if, even if you were schizophrenic, like that's okay. That that is how God made you, and you have to embrace that because He doesn't make mistakes. So even if you are schizophrenic, it's it's by design, and He He sees how that can work in your life and how that can develop you and bring you to new things. I think that we, I limit myself um, often because I compare myself to other people. And I think that how it looks for them is how it lo- should look for me. Right. And it, it, and that's, it doesn't. That God is 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 a, a creator of um, uniqueness. He has this infinite ability to create billions of people that are all different. And it's the world and corporations and um, process that forces things into neat packages for efficiency purposes. That is not God's design. He does not organize things in nice, neat little buckets to make them all similar and the same so that it can speed up efficiency and and speed up, you know, profits and outcomes. That's not how he works. Right. And so I think that we have started defining ourselves by the way business and industry define success and product success for ourselves. I mean, I can't believe I'm going to say it, but I am grateful sometimes to to celebrities. When you said that, I knew exactly where you were going to go with it because they have, they have paved the way for people to be able to do different things and it's accepted. Absolutely. So I, I give them kudos around that. Yeah. And they can't help themselves. I mean, it's like, I think when you're, I don't know any of these people, but I mean, I just imagine that it, it it's a hunger in them. They can't stop themselves from pursuing these other things because. Why not? Yeah. And also it's delightful. It's a part of them. And just because they've excelled in one area doesn't mean that that has to be the end of the story. Right. Who's, who puts a limit on how right. successful they can it's be? It's not the last page of their book. You are awesome. Thank you. Thanks. I want to thank everyone behind the scenes, Anna Bulky, our producer, and the incredible team at Gwyn Sound. If you liked this episode, please, please go to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and write a review. 